Good morning. The reading is from Psalm 85. It starts with verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land, lump kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him, and he will make his footsteps into a way. Hey, well, good morning and welcome to Regen. We are glad to have you with us this morning. If this is your first time, um, we're just glad that you took some time to be with us and we hope that you find yourself interrupted by the love and grace of Jesus this morning. Um, And we also have a gift for you out back. We have um, mugs on your way out. And um, if you find that you would like to have more information about what we're doing here, we'd love to get your email address and you could get our weekly emails that just kind of let you know what's happening here at Regen. Um, and um, speaking of what's happening, the things that are coming up this month, first of all, our check-ins are actually going to be um, this month for SMARTS, and SMARTS is for students motivated by the arts, and our very own Lindsay Goosens is working for them. It's an organization out of Youngstown um, that reaches up into Trumbull County, though, and uses um, just the arts to help kids um, have a better picture for what their future could be. So if you check in on Facebook and use the hashtag RegenGives, that'll uh, generate a donation to them. And then um, coming up this month in November, we have um, our parenting book club, our final installation of that at our house. So that'll be um, Saturday, November 10th next Saturday. And then um, next Sunday, November 11th, we're having another Discover event. And this time we're going to be talking about our identity and what makes us who we are and what um, helps us live out our identity um, consistently. So we'll be having a meal, a potluck after the service, and then having that as well. And then coming up on the 19th and 20th is our Summit Thanksgiving dinner. So Summit is um, a charter school on the northwest side of Warren, right near our Grace campus. And so Monday night, the 19th, we'll be doing um, prep for the meal, setting tables, uh, doing silverware, all sorts of fun stuff. And then on Tuesday morning, we'll be serving the students um, their Thanksgiving dinner. So we're looking forward to that. So those are our upcoming things. I'm going to have Zach come up and pray for our offering, and we'll go from there. Good morning, guys. Uh, You just want to pray with me? Father, we're here to worship you, uh, which means to submit our entire nature to you, our life, our soul, to give everything we can to you today, Lord. So, Lord, I ask that you just increase our consciousness of you with your wisdom that we hear today. Uh, Lord, when we leave this church, will you beautify us with your purity? And God, will you help us to love each other uh, in the way that you've given us Jesus Christ? For you loved us first. And we thank you for that. Amen. Amen. 
Uh, an Ebenezer is a stone of help. If you don't know what that word is, there's a church word. And uh, stones were used by the people of God as something of remembrance, a stone of remembrance. So anyway, Father, we remember the ways that you have come to help us and come to our aid and invite you to be present here with us today as we delve into what it looks like to be your people. So Jesus, I pray that wherever we fall on this spectrum of walking with you, um, new, experienced, young, old, that you would come alongside and be our companion as we uh, follow Jesus today. Love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, go ahead and have a seat. Um, Steph ran to get my phone from Grace Campus because I'm a millennial who can't be without it for like more than 30 seconds, but also because... um, A team of us are leaving shortly after worship to head to Fort Wayne for our next immersion and some of the discipleship stuff that you're seeing bump up in our community, so we wanted to get that. So should we back just in time for me to be really transparent about some conflict that we have in our marriage? That's pretty funny, because we're talking about confrontation today. We're talking about confrontation today in this series called Hot Mess. Um, I was thinking about and reminded of one of Steph's coworkers. So Steph and I got married, uh, you know, I grew up here, moved to Chicago land. Steph and I met, we got married, and um, our, our first year of marriage, her job, she left this job at Moody Bible Institute where we met that she loved and was like really rich and people-oriented. Like if you know my wife, she just got a gift of like encouraging people and discipling and mentoring, and um, she leaves this job and uh, gets this office job at an international insurance adjusting firm where she spent 10 months in what I might call Excel spreadsheet hell. Okay, so she goes from this super life of life giving job to like Excel spreadsheets of like legal documents and like insurance adjusters all over the world. I mean, even just thinking about it for a minute, doesn't it make you kind of like, unless you're really into insurance, kind of makes you cry a little bit inside, right? And so um, she had this coworker that we'll call uh, Susie, and Susie um, had this this phrase, um, and the phrase was always said exactly like this must be nice, must be nice, okay? And so she, Steph would get like a must be nice when um, this was very early in our marriage. It lasted about three months, but Steph would get up early and I would get, I was just doing grad school and working part-time, so my schedule wasn't as rigid. So I would get up early in the morning with her and I would make her lunch and I would kiss her goodbye. And that, I did really good on that until Christmas break of my second year of grad school. I was like, sleeping in, <laughs> sorry. And um, so Steph comes to work one day and she's like, oh, look at that, you know, Susie's like, look at that lunch. And Steph goes, and, and Steph's like, oh yeah, Kyle made it for me. And Susie goes, must be nice, <laughs> right? And uh, Steph comes to work one day wearing a, um, a dress that she'd got on Target clearance and Susie sees her, she goes, where'd you get that dress? Like it was, she was a very valley girl. Um, and uh, Steph was like, oh, I got it on Target at clearance. And Susie goes, must be nice, right? And and the reason I bring up the must be nice is um, this is not something we're doing super here, but uh, this is a Sunday in the life of the church called All Saints Day. So Kyle, Fancy Kyle is brought to you by All Saints Day today. And um, on All Saints Day, we usually take some time, uh, Grace Campus does this, to remember just the people that we've loved that have passed away in the last year. And so we're thinking about heaven and talking about that, and I just kept thinking, must be nice, because I was thinking about how in heaven, the two words that we never have to say are, I'm sorry. I was thinking about how in heaven there are no hot messes, right? 
this, this idea of the hot mess, one hot mess comes from um, these, these conflicts and disagreements that are an inevitable part of being in relationship with people. These hot messes that we fall into at work or the hot messes that we fall into in our marriage or the hot messes that we fall into as we're raising our kids, whether they're eight or 48. The, the hot messes that we run into dealing with our parents as, adult, as adults. These hot messes that bring us into conflict and bring us into disagreement. I was thinking about how it must be nice that in heaven, that's not part of our life anymore. I was thinking about in heaven how it must be nice not to have to feel that shame and that disappointment from each other. I mean, scripture describes heaven as a place where every tear is wiped from our eye and the old order of things have passed away. And that is great for them. But you and I are still in the old order of things. Uh, We are still stuck in the hot mess. And last week we looked at how the discipline of humility, the discipline of humility, how saying no to pretending, saying no to pushing, saying no to presuming, uh, and instead trusting ourself, trusting myself with God and others, the discipline of humility, how that's often a way out of the hot mess, and it is. It's it's a really useful tool, and I've had some really great conversations with people this week. Um, I saw some tears in people's eyes as we were doing that sermon last week because I think that challenge of, of trusting others, of not exerting myself, is so difficult, but it is true that humility is the way out of the hot mess, but every once in a while, y'all, we end up in a hot mess. That humility and backing away from presuming and pretending and pushing, that it's just not going to solve. And in fact, there's some hot messes that the only way out is the way through. The only way out is the way through, which means taking on the discipline of confrontation. Taking on the discipline of confrontation. Now, if I said the word confrontation and a chill went down your spine, you are not alone. I hate confrontational conversations. I do. It's really interesting. Um, One of the things we've learned about me being an Enneagram 3 is that you would think, you would associate this more with a type 9, but 3s love harmony because it clears the air for them to be successful. And when there's not harmony in the air, Kyle freaks out, okay? So I had a confrontational conversation with a leader a team of leaders at Grace Church on Monday afternoon and spent an hour with like my heart rate increased and my blood pressure up and sweating and and stammering and feeling like, frankly, a hot mess because I just hate these confrontations. And what I want to do today is detach, well, I want to redefine confrontation to a way that we experience Jesus, another way that we are apprentice ourselves to him, and a way that allows confrontation, allows the hard conversations, the crucial conversations that we have to have with our spouses and our coworkers and our friends and our family members, allow those conversations and those confrontations to become the raw material, as it were, for our transformation into the image of Jesus. The promise of Jesus isn't that. The way of Jesus isn't the eradication of conflict from our lives and our marriages. It's the transformation of the conflict in our lives and our marriages. It, 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 and, and what we're going to see in, in Jesus' teaching on confrontation today is that Jesus assumes that confrontation and disagreement and conflict and hot mess are a necessary part of being human that it's just what it means, and that it is a necessary and inevitable part of being church. Jesus, we're going to look at Matthew 18 today. It's one of the only two times that Jesus uses the word church in the gospel of Matthew. 
So when Jesus starts talking about church, he starts talking not about worship music, not about like potlucks and, and, and fellowship. Um, he talks about conflict, which I think is so interesting. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Matthew chapter 15 verses 18 through 20. And Dan, I, I'm editing my sermon on the fly, so go ahead and pull up verses 15 and 16 for me on that screen if you can. Um, I'm kind of dropping some parts and some stuff like that. So it, Jesus says this. He says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the church still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Oh boy. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector, as in someone who's not a member of the community. Verse 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Verse 20, for where two or three gather together as my followers, there I am with them. So let's just, can we just take a brief journey to the Chicago land location of the Moody Bible Institute? Not, do you notice how people from OSU do that? The Ohio State University right? The Moody Bible Institute. Go Archers. Okay. Where two or three gather. Can I tell you what makes me crazy as a Bible nerd is when somebody is praying and they're like, Lord, we just know that where two or three are gathered, there you are with them. Because can I tell you what my question is? Where was Jesus before two or three of us gathered? Do you know what I'm saying? Look at the, a, a text without a context is a pretext. And the context of this passage, there's a really great Babylon B article about like man waits in lonely coffee shop waiting for a friend to arrive so he can speak to the Holy Spirit, um, right? That's not how it works. What Jesus is saying is where two or three are gathered in a spirit of confrontation and correction, I am offering an, a special measure of my witness and authority to them. So now that we've just dealt with that little contextual quagmire, let's talk about this. What Jesus is unpacking here is what Paul will later call speaking the truth in love. What, what Jesus is unpacking here is a process, a recipe for handling conflict and handling confrontation in such a way to get us out of the hot mess. What Jesus wants to do is help us out of the hot mess. And Jesus doesn't shy away from the reality of life. He assumes that we're going to hurt one another. He assumes that even in the church there's going to be conflict, not because... The church is immune or shouldn't, but because anytime you gather people together, there's always going to be disagreement. So Jesus doesn't say, don't have conflict, don't confront. He says, you know, this is going to be a necessary thing, and here's how I want you to do it. He doesn't want to eradicate or avoid conflict. He wants, he wants us to navigate it with truth and love, with invitation and challenge, with truth and grace. And even as we talk about conflict again, like I just kind of have this visceral negative reaction because I don't like having these conversations with people in our church. I don't like having these conversations in my family. I don't like having these conversations with my wife. I don't like engaging in this because it's so hard. And, and, and most of us feel that way. The only people who like conflict are the people who are bad at it. Have you ever met a person that's like, I don't care about conflict. I think it's great. And I'm like, yeah, because you're a jerk right? 
It must, yeah, again, I will say, must be nice, right? But, but for me, I have this, this thing, and I think there's a lot of reasons that we avoid conflict, but the ultimate one is we avoid conflict because we want to protect relationship. Harlow knows. We, we, uh, we want to protect relationship. So I'm, I, I, I'm mad at Zach, and, um, but I don't want to hurt Zach's feelings or damage our relationship, so I'm going to go to Harry and talk about Zach because that way it protects our relationship. And this is kind of an MO that we do. Instead of drawing straight lines in conflict, we're really good at drawing triangles. Instead of drawing straight lines, we're really good at drawing triangles. And we think that we're protecting relationship. We think that we're being loving. We think that we're like, you know, letting somebody off the hook. But the reality is that Jesus creates only one option for a loving way to handle conflict, and that is direct and face-to-face. You can call it what you want, but when you go around a person in conflict, when you talk about somebody instead of to somebody, you aren't loving them, you're hating them. You're not fostering unity, you're fostering disunity. Conflict scares us to death, and so we kind of choose these backdoor ways of doing it. But Jesus' recipe for conflict and for handling it calls us to go directly to that person. Do not pass go, do not collect do not collect 200 bucks because also when we, when we go around a person, when we build triangles instead of straight lines, again, the irony is that we're trying to protect relationship. The other irony is that we're trying to get out of the hot mess, but generally speaking, it makes the hot mess hotter and messier. So what Jesus' recipe here is to get us out of the hot mess, it's to provide a place that restores and protects and nurtures relationship, whether that's with coworkers, whether that's with a sibling, whether that's with a spouse, whether that's with a child. And if you're scared of conflict, join the club. Notice that half of this passage are these promises of Jesus to be with us as we engage in confrontation, to be hearing us as we pray. Jesus is trying to make sure that we know that he's got our backs in this, which on the other hand, isn't to like send us careening down the mountain at somebody. It's just to give us the reassurance and the extra couple of seconds to think and breathe and lead clearly. So I want to talk about how Jesus lays out an approach for us for conflict and for confrontation. We're going to look at those and then it's going to get really practical here by the end. So Jesus says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, the sin or the offense, you have won that person back. Jesus says the first step is when you have been sinned against, when you have a problem, to go directly to the person and point out the offense. My job is to go directly to Dan Stewart and say, this is the offense. And I'm not talking about offenses in like, Dan, you like tweeted this thing that kind of hurt my feelings. I'm talking about some of that you just need to get over. If you're quick to offend, that's another issue. But, 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 but what I'm talking about is Dan has done something that has wronged me to my core. And maybe I tried to do the spiritual thing. Proverbs says it is to a man's glory to overlook a sin. So we try to quote that verse and say, I'm going to overlook that. I'm going to overlook that. You haven't overlooked it if the feeling stays with you. If you're still stuck on it, you haven't overlooked it. You've just stuffed it, right? And, if, and, and we do this all the time, right? I'm going to overlook it because I want to avoid. No. 
So I've got a problem with Dan. I go right to Dan and I say, Dan, this is my problem. And remember back, if you took like interpersonal communication, like in college, it's all about like I messages, not you messages. So it's not like, Dan, you jerk, right? You did this thing. It's like, hey, Dan, I've noticed this thing. And I'm going to give you an outline for that too. So I go directly to Dan and Dan says, Kyle, man, you are right. And I am so sorry. Jesus says, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. In other words, your relationship with that person is better than it was, right? But sometimes Dan doesn't listen. Dan's like, no, Kyle, you're the jerk, sir. And so what then it says, if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you may be confirmed, everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, a lot of us confuse steps two and step one. Dan does something to me, and I talk to Art about it, and I talk to Caitlin about it, and I talk to Dolores about it, and I talk to Steph about it, and I talk to young Dan about it, and I talk to Regine about it, and I never actually go and talk to Dan about it. I gather my gang, I gather my firing squad, and they're like, oh, yeah, he is a jerk, I knew it. And the problem with that is, and you see this really in churches that have been around for a long time, when that goes on, what I just created is five people that are ticked at Dan, and Dan has no idea why. And now we're just kind of like beleaguered and weighted down. You know, scripture talks about run this race with endurance, casting off the sin that so easily entangles us. When we do that, that's how we get beleaguered in our community because now five people are mad at Dan and Dan's part of the five people that are mad at Chris. And, you know, Chris is part of the seven people that are mad at Kathy. And, Kat, and, and now at the end of the day, we all keep coming, but we're all just kind of secretly a little bit low-level hatred of each other. You know what I'm saying? And that's not the people of Jesus. This is why we're protecting one another from that. So instead, he says, if you go to Dan, and Dan says, sorry, Dan, you're just the bad guy right now. But Dan, if Dan comes to me and, and says, Kyle, this is something I see in your life, and I'm like, no, shut up. That's when Dan goes and gets Art and goes and gets Kathy and goes and gets Zach and says, guys, I need you to come with me. I need to have a conversation with Kyle. Okay. And Dan says, Kyle, we're having this conversation again because I didn't feel like it went the way well the first time and this is something I'm seeing. And Art says, Kyle, I'm seeing that too. And Zach says, Kyle, I'm seeing that too. And Kathy says, Kyle, I'm seeing that too. The goal is, not, again, not a firing squad. Where are all the people that don't like Kyle? I'm going to bring them. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, about, it's about finding people that see that but ultimately have a heart for the restoration of relationship and unity and moving forward. And I bring these people, and then it says, and if he listens then, or if she listens then, it'll be confirmed, and then you'll have won them back. Now, these first two steps of conflict, it's, it's, it's written in the context of church, but I would say is really helpful in marriage and in parenting and at work and with friends, okay? And here's what I mean by that. Um, James and I have a thing. James and I work at the same company, and James and I are kind of in competition. I'm getting ticked at him. He's kind of wronging me. I go to James. I say, hey, man, like, I just don't think that was cool. I mean, it's a company. Unless it's a Christian company, I can't quote scripture at him. I could just be like, hey, I really didn't like that, right? And uh, James goes, shut up. I'm better than you. Well, that's when I go get HR. That's when I talk to my boss about it, but not before. Listen, if, if I, you know, in our marriage, if we get stuck on something, you know, I'm not bringing five people in to tell Steph how she's wrong. What I want to do is I want to find a couple that knows us and loves us and has mentored us, which is why in your marriage in all seasons, there should be somebody walking with you a little bit that can kind of help you along, especially in the early years, um, so that they can come alongside. Maybe a pastor comes alongside, a mentor comes alongside. You don't drag a friend into your conflict and your circle of friends until you've kind of directly dealt with this thing. 
what I'm saying is that Jesus is painting a picture for how to get out of the hot mess. Jesus is painting a picture, a recipe, if you will, for how to get out of the hot mess. But Jesus doesn't stop there because he's writing about what's going to happen in church. And so he goes on to say, if the person, after Dan has gotten some group of people to come talk to me, and he sa- it says, if the person still refuse, refuses to listen, take your case to the church, then he or she won't accept the church's decision. And if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Paul talks about doing this in 1 Corinthians 5. And there he warns that we have to kick out this person who is willfully sinful and rebellious because he says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right, A little bit of something that's left unchecked affects the whole body. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. Um, in 2011, I graduated from college. I start working at this youth ministry. And there's this leader, and um, her name is Gail. And Gail is just, I think she's great. She's about my mom's age. All the girls in our youth group love her. And Steph says to me, and this was when I learned that my wife, I mean, seriously, I, I, guys joke about my wife's always right. I'd really say that one of the things that made me fall in love with my wife was that I've always wanted to know what she thinks. Like there's never a moment that I don't want to know what she thinks. And so we're leaving youth group. One of the first times Steph goes and she goes, you're going to have a problem with her. And I'm like, with Gail? But she's sweet and she's wonderful and she's high functioning and the girls love her. And Steph goes, I'm just saying. And six months later, it was a train wreck because you come to find out that all the other female leaders in our youth group just felt totally pushed aside by Gail. She bossed people around. She treated them rudely. If you went to her with something that you did to offend her, it was because it was like, well, my intentions were pure and you didn't understand this thing. And so we initiated a Matthew 18 process with her. So I went to her, other leaders went to her one-on-one. We like, I, there was like a group intervention one Sunday that lasted two hours. One time, one leader and Gail met on like an evening and I was asked to kind of just sit there and be a witness and watch it happen. Guys, it was like I'd run a marathon. I like went home so sweaty and nervous. It's not even funny. It freaked me out, right? Just to sit there and watch this happen. And eventually we got to this place where it, it, you know, we had kind of gone through all these steps and we were about to ask Gail and her family to leave our church. uh, And they kind of made the exit before we could make that invitation. And here's what I'm pointing out about this. It does not sound loving to ask somebody to leave your church. But the reality is, if you allow this person who's in kind of engaged in willful, ongoing, bad behavior, you really are choosing to kick people out of your church no matter what. But what you're saying is, we prefer the bully to all of these people fleeing away from them. Right? And so you see these churches where, where what's happened is people just keep leaving and everybody's like, why? And it's because, well, Gail. It's because of this crazy person that nobody will confront right? So it doesn't feel very loving. Um, It also feels very intense. It feels intense to go directly to a person. Guys, we're having a better time in this campus. In our first campus, it was like there was no oxygen to breathe in the room. Like, it was like moving indicated fault, right? So so that's why I included this picture of a puppy cuddling a kitten, Um, just to kind of, yeah, isn't that nice? Just take a breath. We're talking about practicing conflict and confrontation. Because um, I want to talk about how to do this. I want to talk about how we have these conversations because there's going to be hot messes that the only way out is the way through. 
There's going to be hot messes where the only way out is the way through. And it's then learning how to have these, there's a book called this, Crucial Conversations. And this, if you're a manager, if, if you're in marriage, um, if you're in a family, as long as you're around people, there's going to come a time when you need to have a crucial conversation, when you need to have a confrontational conversation. And so we need some tools to how to do it right. So the first thing I would tell you is this. When it comes to confrontation, we want to be having the right conversation with the right person. Uh, we want to have the right conversation, excuse me, with the right person. Here's what I mean by that. The right conversation has to do with tone and timing. Am I engaging in this conversation in a loving, reasonable, understanding, kind way? And am I doing it at the right time? Am I doing it at the right time? Um, one of my rules um, for church life is that these kinds of conversations, you, you do not have the right conversation in the 15 minutes before or after worship on a Sunday. It's just not the right time. We need to be focused on something different. Um, it is not the right time uh, to do it when you're leaving your place of work at the, end of, at the end of the day in the parking lot. It is not the right time uh, if, if for me if I am hangry. I am a living Snickers commercial, okay? Um, I, I, listen, it, I, I have meetings and I think I'm going to need to eat before this so I don't rip someone's face off, right? I am well aware that 80% of successful parenting for me will be being well-fed, right? Um, I'm just saying. Um, so I need to have the right conversation, but I also need to have the right conversation with the right person, which means I need to go to the person who can solve my problem and only the person that can solve my problem. So, so if I, um, if I want to have the right conversation with the right person, if I'm upset at Steph, which is very only rarely happened in our marriage that we've even, we actually did have a moment a couple weeks ago talking about like wrong conversations. Um, we're leaving to go to Arizona and, um, I've been kind of running around and, um, and Steph brings a jacket to me and she goes, hey, can you put this on top of my, in, in the top of my suitcase and out of my mouth before I can stop it, I say this. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like, it's like, I never, I never say, I'm like, it's never, and I'm like, even as I'm saying, I'm like, what is wrong with you? It's just a jacket. So I put it in the suitcase, and then we're backing out of the driveway, and I'm trying to kind of see around Steph, so I'm not hitting Aaron's car. And ooh, by the way, Aaron's now in the car with us. It's kind of like fighting in front of your kids, only worse, because it's a friend. Aaron's like in the backseat trying to get as small and as quiet as he possibly can, while Steph, I, I make a snarky remark at Steph about not being able to see, and she goes, is there... Is, is my existence just bothering you right now? And I said to her, I said to her, and we were joking and laughing by this point, but I was like, it's not so much your existence as like the way you're existing, right? Like the, the manner in which your existence is being carried out is bothersome to me. But not, and, and so we're laughing at this point, Aaron's the next seat. I mean, talk about wrong conversation, right? Uh, talk about like right person, wrong conversation. The goal is to have the right conversation with the wrong person. So let me talk about what this looks like. So I am angry um, at Harry Britt. Um, and, uh, and so I, I go to Bob Bogger and I say, Harry Britt is just a jerk, don't you think? Right? I mean, Harry Britt did this thing and it just ticked me off and I just unload on him. That is the wrong conversation with the wrong person. That is gossip and slander. Right? Okay, so let's say I take a notch up. <clears throat> I go to Bob Bogger, I'm talking about Harry Britt, and I go, oh, listen, bless his heart, Harry Britt. Bless his heart. He's a great guy, loves the Lord, 
but I just can't stand them sometimes, you know? And, and I pepper my conversation with a Bible verse or like something that a sermon I heard once said, I'm having the right conversation. I'm sitting down face to face. I'm being kind of being loving. I'm having the, I'm having the conversation with the wrong person because my problem isn't with Bob Bogger. My problem is with Harry Britt. And when I have the right conversation with the wrong person, at best, at best, it just confuses things. It confuses things on a team. It confuses things in a family. It confuses things in a church. At worst, I'm creating division. And by the way, the one thing that Paul says about divisive people in First and Second Timothy is have nothing to do with them. Like you see them coming, you walk the other way. So much for like cuddles in Jesus' name right? So uh, that was the right conversation with the wrong person. I could also have the wrong conversation with the right person. I could go to Harry Britt five minutes before worship and be like, you jerk. Despite the fact that you helped raise me and I hold you in high esteem, I can't stand you, right? And, and I just get really up in his face. At best, I'm being critical and at worst, I'm being judgmental. The goal is to go to Harry, to have a conversation in the right tone and the right timing, to have that. And that is what Paul defines as speaking the truth in love. That's the goal. And, and I think this, this kind of helps us see how we slide off the hill to one side or the other or never even get up on the hill, right? The call is to do that. So we need to have the right conversation with the right person. So that's the first thing. The goal in confrontation, the way of Jesus invites us to take on the right conversation with the right person. That's one. The second thing is, by the way, if you are being dragged, if you are the wrong person being dragged into the wrong conversation, if you're the right person being dragged into the wrong conversation, if you're the wrong person being dragged into the wrong conversation, you do not have to participate in that conversation. In fact, the most loving thing to say in that moment would be um, if Chris Orr comes to me and says, hey, I have a problem with so-and-so in our community. My first thing is going to be, Chris, have you had a conversation with that person face-to-face and directly? Well, kind of does not count as an answer, by the way. Because well, kind of means like I was snarky with them one Sunday and I think they got the message. Well, kind of means I've been being passive aggressive or in the words of, of Andy Dwyer, uh, nicey-meany, right? Um, he, says, he says his words are nice, but the tone feels mean. I feel like there should be a word for that, like nicey-meany, right? Not, and... Um, uh, I've been being, no, I said to Chris, have you had a conversation with so-and-so? And she says, no. Then here's my response. I'm so glad that you came to me. I'm glad that we're friends. And I'm not accusing you of any evil intent. But what I am saying is that I can't participate in this conversation because it would be unfaithful of me to the Lord to participate in it. So if you want to go and have that conversation with so-and-so, and if they don't listen, if that doesn't come back, go, well, then we can come back and we can talk about it right? Um, do you see what I mean? You do not need to participate in that conversation, which is, by the way, awesome news in your workplace. You want to shine the light of Jesus in your workplace? Somebody starts gabbing to you about somebody, you say, I think I hear my phone ringing, right? Like you, you exit that conversation as fast as you hum- humanly can because it's, it's, it's your faithfulness to Jesus that prevents you from stepping into that conversation. Uh, and, and that way, and the nice thing about saying it that way is it puts, you, puts it on you and not on them. Like, you stirrer-upper of drama. I'm not participating in this. It just says, hey, I, I just can't, part, I can't be a part of this conversation until you, I can't get involved until you've had this conversation with them. That's one. The second thing about that, too, is if you're ever the, tar- the target of a wrong conversation, if somebody is, like, yelling at you, I don't care if it's at work or in your marriage or wherever, nobody said that you had to be yelled at, okay? Um, and so uh, there have been many times I have hung up on people 
I mean, I'm not just like, I've like said, hey, you know, if we're not ready to have this conversation in a loving and calm way, I think I'm going to hang up and we can try again when you're ready. Tell you what, do you want to see somebody go to 10 quick? Is, is to an unreasonable person speak very reasonably, right? It makes them absolutely insane, right? And, and, but nobody said you have to sit in a conversation and be yelled at. Nobody said that you have to, you just can say, hey, I'm going to walk away from this conversation until you're ready to have it in a better way. Never said that. So that's one. So one is right conversation with right person. Two is feel freedom not to get drugged into those conversations. And actually, I think the way that we solve gossip and slander and confusion and division in groups isn't by dumping all of our energy into the gossip or the drama stirrer upper to get them to change. I think it's everybody else around them on the team not being drugged into it. That's what changes the culture. Because they're going to be who they're going to be until Jesus like smacks them upside the head which we all say, yes, Jesus, please do soon, right? But the way that we actually cancel out the toxic culture that person is creating is just by not participating, right? And either, what, what, one of two things will probably happen. One is they'll leave because nobody will play. The other is they'll just explode in a visible way for us all to see and be like, peace. Um, that's important. The third thing is, um, this is how to have a, a, right, a, a good conversation. Three steps. We're going to post this blog. Chael, who is my huddle leader and discipling me, gave us this. And I think it's helpful because you're going to have these conversations. And would it be nice to have a script? Now, I'm trying to use this some. I'm not sure it helps, but I think, I think it does help. And the first thing you want to do is the first truth you tell needs to be a truth about yourself. So I'm upset at Rebecca and I need to go to Rebecca and I need to say, listen, I'm having a problem and I need you to help to, your help to solve it. You need to say, I have a problem and I need your help. This immediately makes it about me and not about them, right? So instead of going to Rebecca and being like, Rebecca, you're being crazy and I can't handle it anymore. It's saying, Rebecca, I'm having this problem and I need your help. And immediately Rebecca's like, who doesn't want to help solve a problem? Right? Everybody's always like, oh, okay, tell me about that. So the second thing I'm going to say is I'm going to invite them up into shaping the story that I'm writing. And I'm going to say, Rebecca, I've been in my head writing a story about you. Uh, I've been in my head writing a story about how you respond when I give you feedback. And in that story, this is not based on any real thing. Rebecca is actually very teachable. Um, uh, the story I'm writing in my head is that when I give you feedback and you just respond super negatively and defensively to me is that there's some pride there, but I'm sure that the story that I'm writing in my head isn't everything. I'm sure there's some gaps. So could you help me fill in those gaps? And Rebecca says, well, actually, Kyle, when, when you give me feedback, it's just so harsh. I can't help but get, I can't help but give, get negative back, even if you're right, right? Kyle, you're right. I should have done this better. But, but when you're that harsh, Man, I can't hear anything, which is why the next thing I'm going to say immediately is, I, I'm, you're right, I could have handled that better. I shouldn't, I, I'm going to work on, when I give my feedback to you, Rebecca, being more loving than like harsh and judgmental. If I start there, if I apologize, if I apologize, inevitably the person I'm talking to is going to apologize back. Because they're going to say, and you know what, Kyle, she's going to say, and Kyle, I really am sorry for being so defensive when you give me feedback. Because I know that's your job. I know I'm your, you know, all this da 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 da, da. Um, I think those three moves of I'm having a problem, can you help me? This is the story I'm writing in my head. Can you help me fill in the gaps? And you have to be honest in that, right? You have to be honest. And then as soon as fault is given to you, you apologizing first 
is what starts to transform the confrontation. And let me just give you one piece of advice. When apologizing, you need to grab a hold of your butt real hard. Not physically, please. Um, because what we're tempted to do when we apologize is what? I'm sorry, but if you knew the background of my, of why I made the decision I made, then you wouldn't be complaining. That, that's the subtext of that. I'm sorry, but I was just so busy. Okay, so what you're actually saying is that your busyness and your schedule is more important than my offense, right? I'm so sorry, I didn't mean that. It doesn't matter sometimes what you meant, it still hurts, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? What, what the reality is, we're actually dealing at the level of people's feelings and not that. So, so those are kind of some three practices. One, right, right person, right conversation, one. Two, how to get out, feel free to make an exit. I mean, look for the exit out of conversations that are not with the right person or the wrong person or the wrong tone. And third, those are your three steps to kind of have that. And there's a blog that I think gives even some better examples of that. So we'll post that. But I, I want to show you really quick the context of this because Jesus doesn't just whip out church discipline out of nowhere. It's not like he's talking about anything and then says, oh, and by the way, when so-and-so's a jerk with you, here's what I want you to do. There's a logical flow to Jesus's teaching. Look at Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14. It comes right beforehand. It says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what's he going to do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's going to rejoice over it more than over the 99 that ever didn't wander away. And in the same way, it's, it, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. I mean, Jesus tells this little story. Jesus tells the little, this little story about a sheep that gets lost and how a shepherd goes and finds them and leaves the other 99 and takes great risk and chases after them with this pursuit and this affection and this in the words of Corey Asbury's song on the radio all the time, a recklessness, right, to go and, and get this sheep. And it's out of this explanation of, for lack of a better word, this divine rescue mission, Jesus uh, telling the story about how our Father sees the ways that we wander away, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Um, he tells the story and then takes a breath and tells a story about how we join in that mission. He takes a breath and he tells a story about how we join in the Father's work of bringing people back into the fold. And I, I think it would be fair to say that if you can't have a Matthew 18, 12 through 14 attitude when it comes to a conflict, you probably shouldn't be employing Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Because to be truthful, guys, a lot of the times when I'm trying to resolve a conflict, not even like three onion layers down. I'm talking like take that piece of paper off the onion and that layer of the onion is like Kyle wants his life to be easier. Right? I want there to be harmony. I want there to be peace. And if my desire to resolve a conflict is just so that a buzzing gnat in my ear would go away, if my desire to resolve conflict is just to make people get along better so my life would be easier, I don't have a heart that Jesus paints the Father having in Matthew 18, 12 through 14. But if I see in the behavior of a loved one, in the behavior of somebody in my community, in my circle, and somebody that I'm discipling, if I see something beckoning their fidelity away from Jesus, because that's what it's about. It's not about controlling people's behavior. It's about I'm watching this person 
just wander away into this thing that I know is they're starting to love more than Jesus. The words of Matthew 18, 15 through 20, this instruction of Jesus is giving me some steps to how to put into action this, this love that the Father gives to us of going to Aaron, of, of going to somebody in our community, going to Dan, going, going to Mike and Jenna who are also in our huddle and saying, I, I'm, I'm noticing this. I'm writing a story in my head. And the story in my head is that you're beginning to have your affections for Jesus drawn away by this other thing. And I'm sure that's not the whole story there, but that's what I'm worried about. Can you help me understand what's going on in your life? That's the heart behind this. That's the heart behind this. It's interesting, immediately after this story, Jesus tells a story about people who have been forgiven. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. As I've been preaching this this morning, you have been thinking about somebody and you have not been thinking about yourself. Okay, at some point or another, some kind of conflict, either that one that's happening now or one that's happened in the past or all of the above, has been like bubbling up in your heart and your mind. And that's great. That's great if maybe the Lord is drawing your attention to someone that you need to press into these kinds of conversations with. And I want to pray for you in a minute but, and, and give you some time to respond to the Father about that. But if, if that thought is bubbling up to the surface of your heart as if to say, I wish this person would have done this differently, that's not what Jesus is asking you to think about today. Instead, what Jesus is asking you is, are you willing to take on the discipline of confrontation? Where do I need to repent of having done that with bad motives? Uh, where do I need to lean in? Where do I need to lean in and have that conversation better? So um, maybe you need to write a person's name down. Um, I'm going to, we're going to do this again. I'm going to make Art and Pam available to pray. So maybe you need to like pray about a conversation. They'll hold that in confidence. Um, next week, we're going to unpack this idea of what if I feel like I need to talk about it before I have that conversation? We'll talk about how to do that well. Um, but Art and Pam know how to zip their lips and they're leaving town for two weeks. So anything you tell them, the homework will be by the time they come back to have solved it. I'm just kidding. Um, so let me just, let's just go to the Father together for a minute, y'all, and uh, I want to give you a chance to respond to Jesus. Um, hey, God, thank you, first of all, that your heart is for us and that you see us wandering away and yet you come back and get us every time. And so, Jesus, would you share your love for us with us so that we might have that love for somebody else? God, this person or this situation that is coming to mind, I, I just pray, Father, that you would um, enable us to have a conversation. And there's some people that there, a conversation actually might not be possible. It's kind of what's coming to mind now. How do you forgive an organization? How do you forgive someone who's dead? How do you forgive somebody who just won't even hear it? And so, God, would you come alongside us in these minutes that we're going to share? I pray, Father, that we would be a community that is not marked by an absence of conflict, but, an ab but marked by the ability to engage in conflict well. And so, Lord, um, would you just come alongside us now as we respond and engage with you? Um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take some time with the Lord. And then when communion starts, if you'd like to go to Art and Pam, and I think I'm going to make myself available for prayer too. Um, We'll do that then, but go ahead and take a couple minutes here. Jesus invites to his table uh, failures and dropouts and the broken. Uh, 
and when we haven't got it right, he's happy to welcome us to his table. And so um, I did this last week and I liked it. Um, I know God might be doing something for some people, but I need two people to serve bread and I need two people to serve drink. job, young man. Art and Pam and I will kind of spread out if you need to be prayed for, and if not, we'll just hang out. Pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ, a force that unites us together, but also that reminds us that failure isn't fatal and that you desire to transform us into your son. Amen. The table is open. I, I found myself just getting so stinking emotional during this. And I think it's because this stuff is just so important. Like this, it's not the music or the preaching or anything that define the legacy that we will leave as a church as much as this does. And so may you have courage uh, to take on the discipline of confrontation at home and here and at work today and in the days to come. And until then, I love you and we'll see you next weekend. Peace.